I'm Gary and this is episode 82 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at electric boats. Specifically, we'll be talking to Vita Yachts, a company specialising in high-end electric boats. Before we start, I wanted to make sure you're all coping well as we start to transition out of the various lockdowns and restrictions. It's been a long 12 months, but it's good to finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. Once we're out of lockdown, the EV club car meets will start back up in earnest and we'll finally be able to fulfil my Patreon promise of meeting up with all access and VIP patrons and talking to them for the podcast. Our main topic of discussion today is electric yachts. We're big fans on this podcast of any form of transport that's electric. We've already done an episode on personal electric vehicles and highlighted electric aviation in many of our cool EV or renewable things. But one area we haven't talked about in great depth is electric boats. Fully Charged did an episode a year or two back in Amsterdam with New Electric there, but for obvious reasons the range and speed of those tenders was limited. But there's a whole other world of boats out there. Today we're talking with Stuart Wilkinson from VT Yachts and in this interview we'll discuss the potential market for these boats, the interesting things Vita are doing with their marine charging CPO Aqua and the huge environmental cost of boating in a non-electric world. Stuart, could you just introduce yourself uh, and your position for the listeners, please? Sure. Um, I'm Stuart Wilkinson. I am chairman of BT Yachts and Aqua Superpower, which are two businesses setting out to revolutionise the way we um, boat and use the water with uh, power boats. Okay, wonderful. I want to dig into that into quite a lot of detail in a few minutes. But uh, what I like to ask all my guests when they come on for the first time is, what's your electric vehicle story? What brought you into the world of electric vehicles? Sure. Of whatever shape they are. Um, I guess it started with owning a Tesla um, back in 2014 and living on... On Malta, where I where I spend most of my time in, I spend most of my time in Malta and and on the Italian lakes, and so the logical next step once you get Tesla is, okay, cool to have an electric boat. So I thought, I went around trying to find an electric boat, and there are electric boats. Back in two thousand fifteen, there were some electric boats, but none of them had uh, the power to really give you the experience of getting into something like a Reva um, or a high-end sort of day boat or any sort of day boat, to be honest, and go along at 20 knots or 25 miles an hour. So uh, I've thought, well, I'll try and build this instead. So I found a team of people, um, one of a couple of whom had some experience in building electric boats up to that point in time, which hadn't worked. So I had a lot of experience as to what we could draw on to try and make them work and that started with the boat side so boat design and what you soon realize is that as things currently stand and I'll get into this when we talk about what what we're doing at the company as things currently stand if you take the batteries as as they are you need to build the boat around the around the powertrain because of the space mm-hmm. requirements so then we started building the powertrain. Uh, I had some really great guys from 
uh, the Mercedes Formula One, Formula E team. And they came to help me try and reduce the size of this powertrain so we could get it into a boat and make the whole thing come together. Um, that resulted in a boat coming out, um, the nine meter Vita 9, in 2018, which we took down that we did a, um, they do an electric race in Monaco, it's quite fun. And we, you know, we weren't, we didn't build a boat to win races, but that boat did win the race, which is great. Um, more, mm -hmm. more in a sort of tortoise rather than hare point of view, because it's designed as a, <laughs> as a day boat, not a, not a high speed power boat, but we sort of did the, did the distance. And I soon started realizing that, you know, that that's what this business is about, you know, get, getting the maximum amount of power into the boat to replicate the experience of going on a, on a combustion engine boat. And then I hit the next issue, which is charging. You know, boats need probably 10 times at least the power of a car as you're driving through water rather than air. So mm -hmm. you just hit a lot of resistance. And so then supercharging became an issue and trying to reduce top charging time to enable you to do a longer journey if you wanted to. Now, now the reality is on a boat, you don't actually need to supercharge on, the, on a regular recreational journey. But where we're going as a business now is thinking, okay, we want to solve the whole piece. So um, we started building a supercharger let, a network along the French Riviera to support the boats we were building. Okay. Now, can I just yeah. jump in there? Before we go in a little bit yeah. too far on that, let me just sort of ask you to do a bit of um, positioning in terms of, you know, yeah. when, when a lot of people talk about boats, you know, the, there's the whole range of tiny little paddle boats up to the big super yachts. And yeah. That. You're yeah. talking about day boats and, you know, I look at your website and if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking that's a power boat, but you're saying it's not. So can you it just, is, sort it, of... is, it is a power boat. It's a power boat. That's exactly what it is. So it's a, it's a, it's a power boat that goes, there's sort of two sorts of, well, there's really only one sort of boating you do. Um, for fun and also for water taxis, which is a whole other area that needs to be sorted out. Now, our mm -hmm. positioning is we've built, the, I think, the highest, the highest power electric day boat. And mm -hmm. that, that came more out of default. I mean, at, at the moment, the power, in most powertrains, there are people building electric powertrains. They're cutting out at around 100 horsepower. Um, so it's like, you know, it's like 80 kilowatts, 75 kilowatts. You can't really get much more power than that from the, from a lot of the people doing electric powertrains. So we sort of found ourselves in terms of positioning, we're coming in at about a hundred horsepower and going up from there to about 600 horsepower. But the way this business okay. is actually evolving is from 600 horsepower down to the hundred horsepower. So we, we went right to the sort of the top of the market and why because i you know that's where they're the most price insensitive to the green premium you know um okay so what what is the size of that particular market that you're looking at so it's getting data on boating is quite hard but mm -hmm. we 
there are around 30 million day boats in the world, day boat power boats in the world, mm-hmm. most of which are in the range that we're in, which is under 30, 33 feet, you know, 10, mm-hmm. 10 and a half meters. And it's around 400,000 boats are sold of this, of this sort are sold a year uh, across mm-hmm. the range. So some, some are outboard, some are inboard, but the market we're serving is that market. So uh, we're at the higher power end of that market. So you could, you could say that of the 400,000 sold a year, that perhaps 150,000, maybe 200,000 of the sort of boats we're looking at from 100 horsepower upwards that are sold. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. that sort of size. And yeah, the sort of installed fleet is about 30 million, as I say, 30 million uh, recreational and probably a, a about 20 million commercial the water taxis, which is another, uh, another big area we're looking at. All right. Um, I want to jump around a little bit because I want to talk about the facilities that you've got. Now, you've got something down on the south coast here in the UK. Is that Portsmouth area? Is that where yeah. that is? Yeah. And yeah. you've got stuff out in Lake Maggiore. Yeah. What's, what's the difference between those two facilities? What, what do you do at those, uh, those different locations? Uh, in the UK, we do more of the R&D in the business. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're developing the powertrains. Um, but it's not quite as clean cut as that because to build what we're calling the surfboard, which is a, a, a powertrain that tries to resolve this issue I talked about that we faced at the start, you know, creating a shape, a powertrain shape that can go in many different sorts of boats rather than requiring people to build boats around the powertrain. So you can sort mm-hmm. of electrify more boats. Um, that R&D for that and a boat is being built down in Portsmouth. So um, that's, that boat is called, we're going to call the Vita Seal, which isn't on the website yet, but we, it was meant to come out last year, but COVID has you know, delayed things a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And that will be a living version of the surfboard concept with um, some, some fairly radical changes to flatten the whole powertrain so that it's, you, you can put it in more, in more boats. Italy is more focused on the larger boats we're doing, so the 9-metre and the 10-metre. And we're, we're actually building, we're building the production version of the Ten and a half meter, which we're calling the Lion, in France, but the powertrain will be installed in Italy. So it, Italy is doing the higher end powertrain. We're also working on a number of contracts for super yacht tenders, um, which mm-hmm. need to be electrified, which need the same sort of power as our boats need, and they'll also be done from Italy. So Italy eventually will be the production centre, and the UK. R&D. That's, that's how we're, we're seeing it play out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Lake Maggiore is uh, landlocked. So how do you get the boats from there down to the Mediterranean, for example? On the back of a truck. So that's a slightly unfortunate side, but there's no way of avoiding <laughs> that. So you, ha- you have to put it on the back of a truck. Um, you can put 
the seal, which will be about a seven meter boat, you'll be able to pull behind a Model X uh, mm-hmm. or a hybrid. But the nine and 10 meter boats you have to put on the back of a truck to, to get them down to the Mediterranean. Okay. All right. Let's move on now to your um, the e-boat superchargers. I think you're, uh, you're referring to them. Um, I'm looking at a picture now of uh, mm-hmm. the one I believe is put in um, Monte Carlo. I think it's yeah. the one I'm looking at. Yeah. What's the um, – oh, yeah, there we go. It's got AC and DC on it. And what's the, uh, what's the power on those? Are they 50 kilowatt yeah, that, DC? That's what we've done – what those are at the moment is 50, standard 50 kilowatt um, auto chargers that we're going to replace out with a marinized solution that will deliver mm-hmm. two times 75 kilowatts. So we're, we're, we're in the process of finishing, you know, finalizing those chargers and they will be installed and replaced that, that, that all of the ones along the French Riviera mm-hmm. uh, this summer. Wonderful. And of, of course, you know, being an EV driver yourself and, and mm-hmm. obviously I've got an EV, the, the big battle there is the charging standard, CCS, Chadamo, Type 2 AC, etc. Is the same sort of, um, shall we say, competition going on in the boat charging market? Do you, is there a standard that you're, you're settling on for, um, for actually the connectors? Uh, CCS. And there's less of a battle actually happening in the boat market. The real battle in the boat market, if there is one, is between AC and DC. So there's, you know, there's a sort of two modes of thought. One is um, uh, let's try and reduce the resistance of the boats so they go further and you can avoid having to recharge. Mm -hmm. And that's great if you build a, a, a dedicated boat that's designed to do that, which probably needs to foil. Uh, We are coming from the point of view of trying to maximize the electrical application. So we're coming from the point of view that you have to have DC charging to do that, because a boat will, although most people might go out for an hour and a half and they'll be quite happy or two hours and the boat will last fine to do that, probably three hours even, because you don't go at full speed all the time. Uh, of actual transit time I'm talking about. Um, yeah. The, the fact is that everyone is focused on range like they are in the car world. And so we, we feel that a, a key part of the package and really what needs to be there, the infrastructure that needs to be in any area before the boats, a significant amount of boats go electric is to have DC charging. So, you know, that's, Right now, we're the, I think we're the first people to have DC charging on our powertrain. We've been doing that for a couple of years now, and we're pretty confident that it's working really well. And more and more people now want to do that. So it's, it's sort of chicken and egg. Once we've done the, the, the infrastructure, then more and more people building electric boats and electric powertrains for boats will be able to provide the supercharging option. And we're working with those guys uh, now on, on the business, which is why we're rebranding it Aqua. So it, it's sort of a separate business run by a separate team that engages mm-hmm. with everyone in the electric boat market, not just Vita. 
Okay. Now, at the moment, you have, particularly down on the Côte d'Azur, you've got, uh, is it Saint-Tropez, Cannon, um, Monaco, three yeah. locations, yeah. and one, two, three, four, five, six, another eight that are planned? Yeah. Um, is that sort of a short term, or is that where you're going to stop on that? What's, uh, what's no, we, 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 <laughs> the, we, probably next week, we will release the website for Aqua, which will take the charging map you have there on the Vita mm-hmm. site and present that as like stage one. The, now what we're wanting to do is, is electrify all the voting areas of the world, which is relatively yeah. ambitious, but something I, you know, that's our mission. So I've, I've hired a really great CPO team from, from the auto sector, one of the, one of the um, and that's been headed up by a guy called Alex Bamberg. And he, his te- he's going to put together a team that will sort of resolve this globally. So, yeah, what we're trying to... The reason it sounds bigger than it is because boating occurs in very specific areas and on very specific routes. So you yeah. can... It's relatively easy. You know, Riviera is an example. There's a sort of specific area that everyone does the boating and everyone goes to the same places. So it's relatively easy to build a supercharging network around that. And we, mm-hmm. we've got some quite interesting ideas as to how to kind of go mobile with charging too. By sort of, I guess that kind of brings together the, the two sides of the business to have a sort of charging platform that can be take, towed to certain areas. But that, that might be where we go when the volumes get up there. But fundamentally, very, very easy to electrify certain areas. So we're talking to... Um, people in Lake Tahoe, Lake Washington in the US, the Bay yeah. Area, San Francisco, uh, Miami, and UK, South Coast. Uh, we, Riviera, as, as, as is set out there, Scandinavia, Stockholm, uh, somewhere we see, um, talking to some really great people there about uh, electrifying that. Venice, that's that's very much commercial solution. Um, mm-hmm. Sydney Harbour. So you know, as you can hear from that, it's rel- you can sort of arrive in a certain area where the boating's happening, commercial or recreational. Put the charging network in, and then sort of resolve it. You know, th- you yeah. know. For instance, there's a debate in Venice at the moment that until now the official line is it has to be hybrid. Um, oh, which is not the case if you have a supercharging network. But mm-hmm. if it, you don't have one, then everyone will say, oh, it takes eight hours to charge a boat. It's not practical. We can't have taxis running like that. But with supercharging, we're down to about 40 minutes now of charge time, 10 to 90%. So you know, it becomes really, really easy to electrify a whole area when, when you're doing it at mm-hmm. that level. That, that's a plan. So yeah. They, All right. So the, the plan is to build this global network, and and that's called Aqua Superpower. That's what's our name for it. Okay. And what what are the challenges that you're going to, or that you are encountering, or that you're going to encounter on that? Because you know we we've spoken to charge point operators on the um, on this particular podcast, and uh-huh. and their one of their main issues is obviously grid capacity you know there's places that they'd like to put a lot more charges in but the grid can't 
handle it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also physically finding the actual locations, finding landlords who can give them the space to do that, etc. So what are the kind of challenges that you're encountering um, with Aqua? Well, the, yeah, the same. <laughs> you, you know, finding, <laughs> finding the place and making sure you have enough power in that place. There's one advantage, um, big advantage, I think, in the boat world is that the typical marina has quite a lot of power because what's interesting about boating is already very electrified. Everyone plugs in their boats when they put them on, mm-hmm. on their berth. So mm-hmm. the average marina has quite a bit of, of power already and tends to have enough power to provide it will see, you know, it depends how many charges and, 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 you know, we, we might in some cases have to fit, you know, 50 kilowatt rather than 75 kilowatt charges. But in general, we find, we're finding that most people in marinas have enough power. The next, you know, the, the dream scenario for us is to also have them at sort of waterside restaurants and hotels. And that's mm-hmm. where we hit more of the, you know, as Tesla have done when they have their destination charges, then you can't have the amount of power you want to have. So, and, and also they're a little bit more complicated about getting the space dedicated for an electric charging, po- uh, charging point. But so, we, yeah, that's where we are at the moment is we're finding that people are very keen to do this. They, they, you know, what's brilliant is what's happened in the EV and the car world is sort of, made the discussion much easier than it was when we first started trying to put superchargers in two years ago. Um, Now people get it and say, okay, no, this is an accept. It's going to happen before there was a big debate. Oh, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. And there was Mm -hmm. the hydrogen excuse has been used fairly extensively (laughs) in voting. (laughs) But, um, but, um, and it still is. But, and, and, you know, there will, there will be a space for that too. It's, it'll be an extension of the powertrain we're doing. But right now, yeah. all the innovations happening in BEV and what we want to do is ride off the back of that innovation. Uh, you know, yeah. we, 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 for instance, we built our own charger originally, which um, where, we had, where we put the 50 kilowatt standard ones in was sort of holding position while we built our own charger. And now the market... You know, getting 150 kilowatts is much easier than it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've and, and marinizing it is is a key part of it. So you need to make sure that some charges just won't be appropriate to leave, particularly on a seafront, lake mm-hmm. and river. It's easier. Okay. Uh, now you've you've used the phrase supercharger quite a lot on this, and obviously there's a, a parallel there with the way. Tesla are doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, the one big difference, especially looking at the photo that I've got in front of the um, the one down on the Code d'Azur, is the actual payment method. Now, there's obviously an RFID, you know, not, uh, mm-hmm. contactless uh, option option there. Whereas, obviously, with Tesla, it's plug and charge. What's what's the strategy in terms of payment um, with, it will, with the marinized versions? Uh, it will be app based and. That's what we're going to start building now. Now we have a team who can do that for us. So mm-hmm. we, we're, we're going to build a cloud-based app that will enable payment as part of that payment per kilowatt. Right now, um, and long may it continue, 
um, we we're, when we're installing, we're quite often getting free power because people want to, mm-hmm. want to make this happen. And so when we yeah. get free power, we provide free power. So we're taking the same view as the people who are putting that in. So we want to put the chargers in, get people using them. And then once we've, we've built up to critical mass, the business will, will roll out um, payment by app. To start with, we, we're more likely to use RFID, which is why we have RFID on that one. Um, mm-hmm. And the re- the, it's more, right now, to be honest, more of a control issue because we want to make sure it's quite a range of um, electric solutions being um, put into boats. And some of them, well, my worry is, and um, what I don't want to happen is someone to plug into a DC charger and you know have a sort of thermal event <laughs> so <laughs> we're trying to sort of control that by you know restrict that so that's why we're restricting access to them at the moment is to to people who we have you know we've verified the powertrain can you know is, is hitting the right safety standard to be able to accept the DC charge mm-hmm. um, so the RFID is more of a gate for that reason so it's more of a sign of the fact we're, where we are at the moment in, in, the, in the charging sort of space in, in the boat yeah. world. Okay. Now, obviously, in, in, the, um, in the car world, that's the way, uh, you know, some of the initial charge point operator rollout when they had RFIDs or apps. And, and then the public opinion switched to, no, I want to be able to just roll up slap a credit card on there or a debit card mm-hmm. and charge. So mm-hmm. is it in your strategy that at some point in the future, that's something that you may sort of tend towards? It, it might well be. It, it depends. Uh, it's a lot of learning to do in EV everywhere always, you know, and the mm-hmm. question is, we're, we're sort of open to which way we're going to go on that and we'll go in the way that people, people, just, people want to, you know, Make, you know, ask, I mean, it might well be that, you know, there's a discussion at the moment as to how much we get involved in the actual charge, charging piece on the boat and whether we actually have a sort of automatic handshake so we can kind mm-hmm. of create the Tesla experience yeah. on any boat that's using our network. And, and that would obviously be the dream solution, yeah. but um, it might not be feasible to do that with everyone um right now the volumes are relatively low so i mean we're sort of back to where car charging was i don't know i suppose five years ago mm-hmm. you know in the, in the maybe even further than that in the boat world and so we the moment have very very you know, defined relationships with the people who are using the chargers, you know, the other people yeah. building the boats, their customers. Yeah. And so it's, it's a relatively controllable piece at the moment. But we will be ready, you know, we, but the nice thing is we have a, um, a team who run one of the larger networks in the UK. Uh, and that skill set, and, and knowledge will bring across all of the challenges that have been faced there. So, in you know, in that in terms of problem solving and you know what the cloud-based platform will do, and people mm-hmm. arriving in, you know, 
being able to solve the problem on the charger in one visit because they know what's wrong with the charger in advance. That is all being baked into the technology we're building around these chargers. Um, so okay. So quite a lot of the knowledge from auto is coming across, as it has done Good. with our team on the powertrain side. All right. A couple more questions on the um, charger before we move on. Uh, are there other companies who are um, sort of trying to do the same thing that, you, that you're doing? Do you have co- competitors in the marine electric uh, uh, boat charging market? Uh, in DC charging, no. Uh, there are some people building AC charging networks. Yeah. Um, that are more powerful than the typical AC charges you get in a marina um, to support their boats. And so a couple of people have done that. But no Mm -hmm. one else, to our knowledge, is is doing DC charges um, and and trying to create a marine CPO. I mean, and we know that because, you know, when we go to, when we're talking to Venice, for instance, Mm -hmm. no one else is in that space. There's you know, in terms of like trying to do a network, there are people who can do the, you know, put the charger in, mm-hmm. but, you know, to make this all work, you need to sort of make all the chargers work together and interact with the user so they can see which charger has got who on and how many people are on and whether it's available and all of that yeah. seamless kind of connectivity. No one's doing that. So, yeah, no, at the moment, we're the only people doing it. Okay. And now you mentioned earlier that you're, you've built the charges yourself. Now, have they been built from scratch or have you taken something like a tritium or an ABB that may be being used at the moment for uh, electric car charging and sort of, what's the phrase you use, marinized it? We've, um, yeah, we've taken the components that are within those chargers, not those specific chargers, but the, a lot of the components used for chargers are relatively similar mm-hmm. and all and built um, the, the charger using those components. And a lot of the focus has been on creating a unit that can deal with the challenges of being in a, a very humid setting and also salt so keeping keeping humidity out of the system has been the big focus of the marinization. So it's um, uh, so we, we, yeah we we cover it with an aluminium cover that's um, made out of recycled aluminium from mm-hmm. North Kidro, um, providing that to us, which is great. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll roll those out when they're ready. It could well be. It's been a quite challenging process doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So it could well be that we'll have a sort of multi-phase thing where they, they might be phase three now rather than phase two. We'll see. Hopefully we can get them out this summer. But um, it's taken, it's, it's really hard building things at the moment. Because well, of, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, things get, tend to get slowed down because of factory closures or you know, shutdowns. So and lockdown, but uh, right. we we're getting there. So yeah, no, but the, the the core message is the components inside it are standard components. It's how we're protecting those components from the elements that's different, and that that's a sort of and and initially the fact that we're building a two times seventy five kilowatt charger, so with two arms, because 
our bigger boats use you know charge each side so we 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 accelerate the charge time by charging each side at the same time from two times seventy five kilowatts and um the smaller boats just use one one side of this charger so each charger is sort of two chargers how it, how it works ah, that's interesting because i remember seeing something not too long ago and it was um obviously it was a, a large passenger type uh, a, a vehicle type mm-hmm. ferry and it was charging using i think six yeah. simultaneous yeah. ps chargers yeah 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 well it's the um, same it's the same theory so the way we're seeing to be able to crack the sort of 600 horsepower zone you need mm. to charge with two with with basically a port and a starboard um they typically have two legs i mean our, our, the 10 and a half meter has two legs got two um two propellers at the back and so right. everything you know and, and that is kind of it's quite a nice redundancy feature i um, mean and then it's the same for um quite a lot of water taxis are built like that mm-hmm. uh, with, to, to, to increase maneuverability and that that's where that's the thing I'm in a way the most excited about is because we're at that high power segment. I mean, Lake Maggiore is a good example. There's tons of taxi boats going around on the lake, taking people to the Borromean Islands and various other places. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, every nice, beautiful lake has the same thing. And what's annoying is, you know, boats are right in the beautiful place. You know, a car, you're often not doing that. You know, a lot of car work is happening on motorways and things. On boats, you're almost always in a beautiful place. So, Mm -hmm. you know, having a huge amount of smoke and oil film on the water and all the other stuff, and noise for that matter, that comes from these things, that can all be, you know, dealt with. And we're in the right power zone to do that, which I find really exciting. So we can actually you know, just roll over what we've done in um, for, for, for recreational boats into commercial. And, that, and those, rather than being seasonal, are being used every day, all year mm-hmm. round, you know. So uh, that's, that's, that's a really exciting piece of, of both the Vita business and the Aqua business. And that leads me very nicely on to my next question, which is um, you don't just build the boats yourself you build the powertrains and put them in other manufacturers yeah um, yeah i mean the the reason the way i see the market evolving is that now it's expensive to electrify a boat um because a lot to do with these you know the sort of key uh thermal management's really key and working with the water to control and do the cooling i mean the boats are often operating in really hot places People always mm-hmm. want to use them in the summer. Of and course. So you hit thermal management and, and keeping things cool is really important and, you, and using the water really cleverly for that. So, yeah, that's uh, where, that's where we're, that's why we're, yeah, so that, that's, that leads into this, what we're trying to do, this surfboard idea, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, how, I mean, I, I was, I've been, you know, like everyone following what's happening in, in, in the truck and, and car space on the EV side. Yeah. And what we want to develop, and we, we have um, an exclusive arrangement with Romeo Power in LA, who produce some of the highest density batteries to do this particular project. 
We mm-hmm. wanted build a, a, a boat specific battery unit that will and so right now we're building the powertrains and we're powering other people and then the second phase of that will be building a building a surfboard uh using what you know what we've learned by building all these powertrains so yeah we're bu- we're building them for other people right now um mm-hmm. right now it's the way the way the market's working is um Everyone's up at night. We, we have a sort of pyramid. I, 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 I'd, I'd love to send that to you, actually, to sort of explain this. But we see it as sort of, we've sort of got a pyramid where above $300 per kilowatt hour, uh, you're sort of in the high net worth, early adopter, but really high net worth space and, mm-hmm. and or regulatory driven. You know, you have to do this. So you're seeing that with ferries. Um, they're going electric because people are saying this has to happen. Yeah. Um, then if you get down to 200 kilowatts, you can capture more of the early adopters. It's $200 per kilowatt hour. And then above $100, you're getting into the mass affluent and many, many more commercial applications. And below 100, everyone can do it because you're building something that's cheaper than combustion engines. And mm-hmm. we see it. So, so the business is sort of built around that. So right now we're building our own boats because they need to be, they are going to be relatively expensive boats because of the powertrain, the cost of the powertrain. And to do it safely, it just is expensive, fortunately. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all of that R&D, when we build our own boats, then we'll transfer. It already is at the sort of high net worth space, but it, and in some specific situations. But as we keep doing that, the price point will allow us to move, you know, widen and widen the pool of boats that can be electrified. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we're starting with building our own boats and some relatively expensive applications, and then we start moving uh, down the pyramid to a wider group of boats that we can electrify. And that's what the surfboard project is: is to create that platform that we can put into any boat. So we, we have a naval architect in team who is, has pretty much almost all the boat hull designs you can get hold of. And we're using that to say, okay, this is the space that each, all boats have. So let's design something around that space rather than saying to people that, you know, if you want to be an electric boat, you have to create, a massive space for this battery that they don't have. Yeah. Um, in a super yacht tender, that works fine because they have these seats along the side that you can put batteries under. But mm-hmm. uh, and the same with actually a taxi boat, but uh, uh, which we're working on in Venice. But when you get into large, you know, larger scale applications and sort of regular boats people are using all over the place, you need to create a flatter battery. It's, that you can slot in to the space mm-hmm. under the deck. Um, so that's a key part of that. It's almost harking back to the original days with uh, Rolls-Royce. And Rolls-Royce only used to make the powertrain and the chassis, and then they'd hand off that to, you know, Mulliner Park Ward, who'd do the coachworks and actually put the, the rest of it on. There's, there's a certain amount of parallel there, isn't there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting no i mean we don't we don't we don't we don't want and we, we don't 
we don't actually build the boat part of our boats, you know, because they're brilliant people who do that. Mm-hmm. And there's no point us trying to replicate that. Our, our skill is in EV. Our team is, you know, a really good group of engineers and electrical engineers and, and programmers yeah. who, can, who can make the EV piece work and understand how that works best in boats. But we, so we, our boats are built by really good boat builders and then we put the powertrain in. So we're already sort of halfway towards what we'd be, the position we'd be in if we're working with the third party, which is we're, we're finding when we are working with the third party, not really that different mm-hmm. to what we're doing. Now, obviously there is another huge market, market segment, um, which is sailboats that obviously also need some sort of motor for when they're not mm-hmm. using the sail mm-hmm. itself. Is that an area that you'd be looking at in the future? It's an area that is pretty well catered for by uh, some people I know really well and are really good at this. It's Torquedo, uh, who have been making uh, out, you know, specific outboard application for that for quite a long period of time. It doesn't tend to need... So where, where we're going to come into that space, and it's a discussion we're having now, is when a boat gets to a certain size then it needs more power. And then, as I said before, it's sort of cutting out, you know, they're, they're cutting out around 100 kilowatts or a little bit under 100 kilowatts. We're coming in at that point. So any sailing boat that needs more than 100 kilowatts power, we can provide that solution. And so that's mm-hmm. where, so yes, we will, uh, we will do that. And it's something that I can see coming. Um, but right now, we're very focused on on the sort of power boat piece because, I mean, the, the numbers are fairly shocking um, in terms of CO2 emissions. We've been doing these um, numbers for someone recently. But, you know, when you go out on a reaver or something similar for a, a day out, you emit about a tonne of CO2, <laughs> which is... Um, and, you know, the average car, people say it's around 12 to 15 kilograms. So it's an absolutely yeah. massive difference. So, um, so you know, if, if a car generates four or five tons of CO2 a year, it's equivalent to going out on, on one of these boats. You know, and in the same, it's the same is true with a tax, water taxi, by the way, for four days. So it's, it's, a, it's a massive thing that needs to be dealt with. We're, we're re- and so that, that's why we're focusing a lot. That's what, you know, going back to the sailing boat thing, you know, some of the smaller engines are not the big offenders. The big offenders mm-hmm. are the higher powered piece. I mean, obviously the biggest offender of all is shipping. But, yes. uh, you know, the, there's actually a huge amount of pollution coming from, it's because no one really knows. That's because it's, it's fairly unregulated, the waterways. Mm-hmm. You know, the, no one's got, got into thinking about that that much yet. Uh, I'm sort of aware of it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that, that, by our calculations, that's what. So you've got the, 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 the shocking numbers are, you know, yeah, a ton of CO2 each time, you know, a powerful boat goes out and 750,000 tonnes of leaked oil into the water because you know the way that combustion engines work and cool themselves they 
typically leak a sort of film of oil behind them everywhere they go. Um, wow. I mean, when, you know, at the end of, you know, Monaco Yacht Show, for instance, they have these big sort of absorbent pads to mop up the mess left behind by all of these powerboats. I mean, so it's... That's the bit they never show on the press releases. Isn't it? <laughs> and so... <laughs> And they're doing great things in Monaco, thinking about that. They are actually really, really um, forward-thinking. And Prince Albert's really brilliant on this stuff. And so they're mm -hmm. really doing everything they can to change that. But the reality is right now that, you know, if you can electrify all of those boat journeys, it's just going to be a massive thing. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. And a question sort of tangentially related to that, uh, now, obviously, in the UK, the government has announced the ban on the sale of fossil fuel powered cars mm -hmm. from 2030. Is there a similar kind of announcement that you'd like that would help the uptake of uh, electric boats? Well, I think what I think, yeah, the thing that's been really good, I mean, German lakes don't let combustion engine powered boats um, operate anymore in a lot of them. And so. That is what that's, and, and we're seeing that start to happen. So, regulatory restriction is actually one of the key ways to that's the sort of stick part of this that I think would be really good. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a part of Lake Garda that's electric only. Um, Portofino is going to restrict access, and Monaco is going to restrict access to larger cruise liners. Uh, I, I understand. And mm -hmm. so regulatory, reg, regulatory restriction on boats operating in certain areas will accelerate this change. And I think it's going to have to come from there. And it, it's a discussion we're very involved in because a lot of people say, oh, well, it doesn't work. You know, you know the range arguments used very, very extensively on boats because, you know, they just don't go anywhere near as far as a car. So, you know because of the power difference, you know, if a car goes yeah. 350 miles, a boat goes 35 miles. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually not a problem um, because most people don't actually go any further than 35 miles. But, there you go, yeah. <laughs> but but, but it, it, ditto, ditto cars. But it's, it's, but it's something that we, we, we can resolve with having the infrastructure of the, of the DC fast, you know, the, B, the fast charging network. So people can say, okay, you can't really then present the argument that you can't go electric. And so, yeah, if we, if what would be helpful would be regulatory restriction, which is happening. Um, you know, the French government's requiring people to put electric berths in all marinas being built now. Um, mm -hmm. So there is some, uh, but you know, it's, it's lagging the car market and, there's, I, I feel there's not enough perception that actually the, the marine sector outside shipping, if, if everyone always says, when are you going to resolve shipping? That's a big thing. It's true that there's 50,000 ships in the world and 50 million boats, I mean, power boats in the world. So, you know, those 50 million power boats must be doing quite a bit of polluting too. It's not just all the shipping, you know. So I think. Oh, indeed. <laughs> so. And so, yeah, some, some regulation is, is important. Um, you know, Lake Tahoe, for instance, very keen to, to pass regulation, but without having a viable 
solution, which is why for now we see Vita and Apple working a little bit together. You know, you, you need to sort of say, look, boats are going to be electrified and this is how you resolve the range anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of work very much together. Uh, even though they're going to be separate businesses, they do sort of work together in that way okay. alongside other people mm-hmm. doing electric boats. So my final question then is, and it's kind of related to the last one, um, what would you do if you were king for a day in order to help your business and electrification of boats in general? You could make any decision you wanted. What would it be? I would try to in- encourage the adoption of electric boating in the same way that they've, they are ad- encouraging the adoption of electric cars. None of that is happening in the boat world. There's no subsidies. There's no, you know, there's no financial incentive to mm-hmm. to make the green choice which i think is frustrating um particularly as these so they, yeah, that's what i would want to do i would want to and it's something it's a conversation we've had with people and you know how can we do what norway have done into the whole marine bar, market you know to sort of encourage things to happen faster because yeah. it's something you know you literally swim in in the oil slick at the moment so it's something i you know if you if you if you go out on boats a lot it's something you're so aware of and you're sitting in the cloud of smoke you're swimming in the oil slick (laughs) it's just something Mm. that just needs to change so yeah so i i would like to see because price is the thing that's stopping it happening faster you know we're still you know the cost of an electric powertrain for a boat is probably three times at least the cost of its combustion engine alternative. And so having and is that some all related of, to the batteries itself? Yeah. The cost of the batteries. The cost of the batteries, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it is. Now, it, it's interesting because in my mind, price would not be a driver because particularly in the, the market segment that you're aiming at with the vehicles, the, the boats you create at the moment, You've talked a number of times about you know high net worth individuals as being yeah. the you know the customers. Are they that sort of sensitive to well, price? Well, no, something they're, like that? they're not, which is why they're our customers now. But what what I would love to change is is I don't want that to be the case. That's just where we're starting now, a bit like Tesla started with the Roadster, you know. Uh, but but I don't want to be there. I want to be where Tesla is of the Model Three, you know, as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, I, you know, because that's, you know, business-wise, that's where the volume is. But mission-wise, which I feel pretty strongly about, um, I want to electrify as many boats as possible as quickly as possible. You know, that's really the mission of the company. And so, you know, that, yeah, that, that's, the price is actually a big issue. And, and one of the reasons, you know, we're, we're, uh, what I spend a lot of time doing is, working with battery suppliers to to work the price down but we're still because of volume and because of the thermal management required for a boat we're still at 300 plus whereas tesla's gone under a hundred dollars per kilowatt hour now Mm. so yeah and that's and there and there's the three times right there you know (laughs) that's why that's why it's three times more expensive than the combustion engine so if we could get price down faster then i can get it into more and more boats or the business can and that's that would be the brilliant thing to do here 
So I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't enjoy the fact that we're just doing boats for the high end of the market and commercial applications where there's strong regulatory pressure. You know, for instance, that's the discussion in Venice. If we could, if we could get to a, cheap, a lower price point faster, then all of the all of the boats in Venice will electrify. The resistance mm-hmm. there, which is totally understandable by the operators, is I don't want to spend, you know, a hundred thousand more on my taxi boat because it's electric. Even if you can yeah. make the argument that over time they probably will get that money back, which they probably will, it just makes it harder. And you know, as you as you know with electric cars, there's so many people wanting to make the argument as to why they can't do it. You know. <laughs> and so yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh I think that is an appropriate place to uh, to stop. Thank you very much for your time, Stuart. I really do appreciate it. Um, this the whole area of uh, electric vehicles that are not um, cars or bikes is something that I personally am very very interested in. So right. you know, to get someone like yourself on to to give us such a knowledgeable uh, uh, discussion is absolutely fantastic. So I really appreciate it. No, I really enjoyed the discussion. Thanks, Gary. I love talking about it. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. I know it's a little trite, but I'm going to mention the fully charged live events. Uh, The one I'm talking about was originally scheduled for the middle of last year. This is fully charged live UK. Then it was delayed to later in the year for COVID reasons. Then it was delayed to June this year, but they wanted to put it out in the open air rather than undercover. Now, with various restrictions, etc. that are still going on, It's been moved yet again. This time it will be Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the 3rd, 4th and 5th of September. It will still be in Farnborough in the south of England and it will still be an outside event. If you have purchased tickets already for this event, they'll be automatically transferred across to the new date. But if you haven't bought them, please head to the Fully Charged website and follow the link there. I'll put the link in the show notes. But not only that, Fully Charged will be doing three more events outside the UK and in reverse date order. These are uh, fully Charged Live Australia, which will be live in Sydney on the 29th and 30th of October 2022. Fully Charged Live North America in Austin, Texas, the 23rd and 24th of April 2022. And Fully Charged Live Europe in Amsterdam, the 18th, 19th and 20th of March 2022. So if you live in Australia, America or anywhere mm, sort of northern Europe, Follow the link in the show notes and buy your tickets for that. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's a real speed freak when it comes to his e-skating. He got one of the fastest boards you can buy but he really, really wanted that little extra bit of oomph. 
So what did he do? Uh, I hired some really great guys from uh, the Mercedes Formula One Formula E team. Thanks for listening. Bye.